0: That's cool. Welcome to Still Talking Uncut. Sorry we're a little late. Um, we're having some technical difficulties on the other end. So, um, but anyways, I'm your host, Big Easy. Joined by my co-host, Master Still Sean Rigsby. Um, our plan is to have Moonshiner Jerry Benson on. Um, he's having a little technical
1: difficulties at the moment. So, we're just going we gonna to play it yeah. slow
0: and, and he'll get in here eventually. So I think his
1: IT is uh stuck up there in New York or something. I'm not real sure what's going on with that. You'll, you'll have that.
0: Right? Like <laughs> I didn't you know, I didn't think we was gonna find anybody with uh less technical capabilities than John, but it's, it is what it is. So <laughs> <You know. laughs> anyways.
1: Oh man. <laughs> uh
0: I can imagine your uh your messages over there It's <laughs> probably cussing you.
1: <laughs> uh yeah yeah that that's ex- yep uh tater
0: uh, it's
1: 10.05 where you at bitch <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah i'm getting that too you know like
1: where you guys at like oh man we're just we're waiting you know like
0: so i don't Hopefully, know maybe he'll figure it out um if not then i guess we'll just roll on and reschedule <laughs> try again next week i don't know but uh so how's how's everybody doing? How's everybody doing? We're waiting on Jerry. Moonshiner Jerry's he's getting it rolling. He's having an issue with our uh, StreamYard and Google Chrome for some reason. It could be a pain. So
1: Yeah, it's got something to do with that Tennessee, if I had to guess. I don't know. I think Sean North lied Carolina area.
0: Sean lied about who was gonna be on the show tonight just to get people <laughs> to tune in that's what happened so you're april fools sean lied to everybody Uh,
1: incorrect i got proof right here (laughs) (laughs) it's just he and i don't
0: don't mess with you damn it sean oh i blame sean that's what i do anyways so well anyways i guess while we're uh we're waiting on jerry to join hopefully he gets in um hope everybody had a great thanksgiving you know hope everybody uh Ate way too much and and enjoyed the family. And
1: <laughs> what'd you do for Thanksgiving, Sean? Uh what I do or eat a little bit of both. I didn't really do much. And we had uh we had steak instead of Thanksgiving dinner. Hey, man,
0: you, you never go wrong with steak, man. I usually do steak on uh Christmas.
1: Oh yeah. Yep steak ham potatoes it don't matter it's all good food yeah, all it goes down matter. comes out that's same right.
0: way <laughs> that's right y'all cook at home or y'all go to family
1: no, um, uh, we we all cook we cooked here nice yep so uh... oh, oh, oh. hold on maybe
2: <laughs>
0: my <laughs> man welcome
1: badly <laughs> Now, see, you didn't make me out of a liar, man. I thought for sure. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Jerry.
3: Welcome to the show. Well, thanks, guys. I'm sorry I don't have all them fancy headphones. Oh, you're yeah. good. Are you good? Are, are you are using your phone? No, I'm using a tablet.
0: All right, cool. It's, uh, it's always yeah, left nice on to
1: see, to see somebody other than Sean. So... <laughs> Well, (laughs) next time you got to have your people from New York come down, help you out.
3: Uh, Yeah. I got my, I got my, I got my person though. (laughs) Tell her. Thank you.
0: Sometimes you got to call in the better help. Like if I had a question, I'd be yelling for my son to come in. You're like, bro, what do you fix this for me? (laughs) uh, You gotta, you gotta have a go-to. There's always a go-to person with technology. Every house needs one.
3: I guess the biggest problem I had was uh was it signed into my Google. Huh. Hmm. Once we got signed into my Google account, it let's link right on. Interesting. Hmm. Cuz I uh,
1: I remember when I first downloaded this it said something about it didn't work with uh um oh whatever it comes with the Apple stuff, Safari. So Safari. I downloaded that yeah, Google Chrome. But uh, what was I gonna say? Anyway, you can go ahead and introduce him. Everybody here <laughs> yeah. knows. But... We're talking Sean, man. <laughs> all right, we finally
0: finally got a, a a real celebrity on here instead of Sean pretend celebrity. Get off get off the show, Sean. Uh, hey, sorry, Hollywood.
1: <laughs> Hollywood has arrived.
0: <laughs> uh, right. Let me introduce our guest. Welcome to the show, uh, Moonshiner Jerry from Discovery Channel Moonshiners. Master what Distiller. Uh honor to have you on here.
3: Pleasure. This, this is
0: you know, it took a while, but it's, I guess it's worth the wait. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh. So we always uh we always start off with what are you drinking on? Um so are you drinking on anything special over there, Jerry? Or is no. it a Sunday Sunday night uh take it easy night, Monday morning comes early?
3: Yeah, it's kind of a Sunday night. It's having a little little Sierra Mist right now. Ginger ale. Ginger ale.
0: <laughs> Production in the back, got gotcha. you. Yep. Yeah, but <laughs> this is uncut, man. Everything that's said stays on here. So say yep. what you mean and mean what you say. We're not going to cut anything out. So All right, good. If, it, if, if, if you don't want to answer things,
1: something, just say next question. Next
3: we'll go. question.
1: All right. Sounds we'll. we'll uh, Sean's got a list over
0: there. I'm just going to play it off the top of my head. Uh, maybe uh, maybe, sh- maybe Sean will
1: learn a thing or two. Sean always so. learns a thing or two. That's the best part about this shit. So, what are you drinking, on Sean? The best, the best alcohol money can buy. From Tennessee, <laughs> North Carolina. <laughs> where, where, where'd okay. you get those at? Where'd you get those at? yeah uh, North Carolina.
0: Back up. Uh, so those were the ones that were in my barn. And how'd you get them? Oh, I brought uh, them to you.
1: Such a piece of uh, shit. Well, hold on a minute. <laughs> Bennett. Said. Mr. Bennett. <laughs> brung them up.
0: Yeah, and they sat in my barn for a month until I took them over to him. Well, you know. I drank a few, so there's a lot of a few less. So speaking of Bennett, I'm drinking on some of Bennett's bourbon. So, you know Well,
3: with, you're drinking good tonight then, aren't you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> we, uh, We'll,
0: we'll reserve that for afterwards. We can't can't give him too many compliments, you know. You gotta just toss them out a little here or there. Oh yeah. Don't want to get his so, head too big, so. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so Jerry, tell. Go ahead. No, I just I didn't know if there's any way of – if you could see comments or y'all are seeing the comments or.
0: Yeah, we see the comments. We just um, we ignore them because it draws away from the show. Okay. I no, say but I didn't think I but if if in. you if you see one and you want to respond to it, feel free. Oh, I
3: can't see um, anything, so I ain't.
1: get get your glasses out.
3: <laughs> yeah, if I could only no. find them, I would. <laughs> <laughs>
1: now he's probably in full screen mode. But uh, so yeah, man, just tell us a little bit about uh, if moonshine was in your history or when'd how you, you start? Got started.
0: Like, yeah, when did you get started? Did you have any family? Uh, history that you fell off of
3: I got started about uh, say around 15 years ago it was kind of one of the things that um, I knew there was a lot of heritage in my family for it but I just didn't really know what it was and uh, that was kind of the sad thing is you know I found out with a lot of other families that there's like this generational jump like say my dad's generation along with a lot of other people my age their parents kind of jumped it kind of jumped with them because they didn't want to you know, cause their parents kind of hid it from them mm-hmm. just to keep them out of trouble. And then they didn't learn any of it. So, you know, they didn't really get into it to stay out of trouble as well. Um, and of course there's a select few that did get involved with it and has kept it up, you know, basically like, you know, like Tim Smith, you know, he it followed him all the way down through the families, you know, but yeah. like myself, my, my dad's dad was a big time bootlegger all over, you know, Hendersonville, South Carolina area. Um, And then my dad's, my mom's dad, he was actually a actual steel hand slash moonshiner himself slash bootlegger. And both my, both my grandparents actually done time, you know, done time for it. Um, So therefore, like I didn't, you know, my dad didn't really get a lot of it. So therefore it wasn't passed down to me. So I'm just kind of slowly finding out through my family you know, what my history was and all that. But, uh, but I know it's, it's, it's in my blood. It's when, you know, first time I done it, it was, you know, it was, as it, I was hooked. Wasn't no going back then.
0: It only takes once. <laughs> <laughs> it, takes, it, it doesn't matter if, you know, um, you're falling back on heritage that you know about, or if you're just, um, some guy who picked it up, man, it, as soon as it gets in that blood one time, one drop, one drop in your blood is all it takes.
3: Oh yeah. It's like as soon as you, you know, as soon as you put a steel together and you put a mash bill together and you fire it up and that first drop comes out the money spout, you know, it's your, your hook, line and sinker. Then it ain't no going back. You can't, <laughs> it's,
0: it's better than any drug. Oh yeah.
3: It's,
0: it's something about it. just gives you a satisfaction, you know? And, oh, absolutely. Um, so what was the uh, first thing you ever ran? First size still first mash?
3: Well, for years I ran a 10 gallon pot. That was um <laughs> Ten gallon pot was my first. My first one, I went from a ten gallon to a five gallon, just because I wanted to try start trying some different things. Um, Keep the cost
0: down makes sense.
3: Yeah, because I was actually doing a lot of my a lot of my mash. I was doing five gallon buckets, so therefore it didn't really make a lot of sense to do you know, do a lot of ten gallon pots when I was mashing everything in five gallons. You know, five and seven gallon buckets. So I kind of went backwards to a five gallon. Learn you know learn a lot more about it and kind of what I wanted to do. And then I went back to a 10. I ran a 10 for years. And then uh saw, slowly started kind of going up to, you know, 50, 100. You know. Kind of about, <laughs> I tell you, I always go back if I need something really special or if I'm doing something really special or if I'm looking for that certain taste profile, it's no doubt I always go back to my 10-gallon pot. I feel like that's it. Right. I tell everybody, too, know, uh, people who don't know, what they want. I ask them what, what they're doing, what they want to accomplish. And then I try to help them decide what size they want. And nine times out of ten, people always you know end up going back to that ten gallon pot.
0: You know yeah, yeah. Great, great to experiment on and, and you know, small batch. There's a reason why you go into a store and small batch mm-hmm. model costs so much more than a large batch. It's just oh it's, absolutely. I think this, that small batch is just Got a little bit more love to it, a little more care to it, and it's just it's going to be better in the end, you know.
3: Well, for those for those who are you know that want to get into it, but they don't they don't know that they have a lot of time, or they don't really know how to do things, you know, quite yet. So they don't know how much time they got to dedicate to it. Um, you know, ten gallon. That's one of the good things about it. You, know, you can fire up, you can run a good run, and not be pushed, and you can do it in you know four four and a half hours. Mm-hmm. And your
0: your mistakes aren't real expensive. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, your 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 mistakes and your learning, you know, they're not real expensive unless you go unless all you out. Out. yeah. You go all out on your mash with high.
3: But the good thing about it is you, if you do end up doing everything right and you actually get a good run out of it, you actually get a decent enough quantity out of it to where you felt like you're you're accomplished. You know, you get more than a pint out of it or a quart. You know, yeah, you, yeah, you got something. <laughs> yeah, You get it pretty close to like a gallon, you know, depending on what you're doing or how you make your cuts, you know.
1: Yeah, that's one thing I never understood is people run a beer keg and, you know, they'll be like, oh, I ran it for 14 hours. And I'm like, no, <laughs> me personally, I would never do that. But, I mean, well, you, don't, you, know, you don't know,
3: you don't know. I tell you, that's the biggest problem with a lot of a lot of people that I've talked to you know they just get online they look up, you know, look up things and you know they just they, for some odd reason this whole drip drip pause drip drip pause has really got everybody confused as to how you're actually supposed to run you know you need a full string you know coming out of there like old popcorn and sometimes i hate referring back to it but he said it the best you know if it's bigger than a matchstick you're running too hard um but mm-hmm. most any steel whether it be a whether it be a 10 gallon pot you know, or a 150 gallon pot. I mean, you know, really about a toothpick size stream is about about where you need to be. Mm-hmm. No
2: Hell pencil, yeah. lead. No yeah. Pencil yeah,
3: lead. Pretty much, yeah, basically. So,
0: what's your uh, what's your favorite thing to run for yourself?
3: Well, you know, because I've always been known so much for doing flavor stuff. You know, it's basically I just do, you know, just do a sugar liquor. Um, and that's kind of another big thing that really, Really confuses everybody. I think that most people think that if you're not running some kind of barley or corn or whatever, you're not making real moonshine. But what people don't really realize is alcohol comes from sugar. So I mean, like, it's, it's
0: all it, it's alcohol at the end, man. It, if it get me drunk, you know, then you did a good job. You did it right. You got me drunk. I didn't have a hangover from it. You did oh, a great yeah. job. You made liquor.
3: <laughs> you know, you made moonshine. But you know, uh, basically, basically a whitewash is, is kind of what I primarily stick to a lot just because experiments with me There's with so many different flavors um mm-hmm. and it's, it's kind of hard to take anything else you know a corn or anything yeah but it takes so much to cover it up and actually get a good balanced flavor um without the you know the aftertaste or whatever so you know yeah I, I tell everybody i make a i make a a, a rum vodka is what i make so run mm-hmm. nice. Come, comes off pretty high and it's you know, no taste, no flavor to it whatsoever and, and uh it's, e- it's easy to flavor that way
1: so do you believe do you uh are you a one uh, one run and done type person or do you run thumpers do you rerun your your uh your product to get a higher proof or what's your
3: well here's here's where I am with all that and everybody has their own opinion of, of what All that actually means, Um, you know, for years I've done stripping runs and I've done spirit runs. And basically it wasn't, it wasn't for necessarily the high proof, but in my eyes, basically high proof means clean alcohol. Mm Because if you're pumping out 180 to 185 proof alcohol, you've got some really good, clean, flavorless alcohol. Um, You don't have much water in it, so there can't be much flavor in it. So then you got the chance to be able to put your own water back into it, temper it down to a good mix and proof, and then add your flavor to it. Makes sense. Yeah. And it's not, you know, as far as as what I do, you know, um, if I'm doing something, you know, years ago I used to run my little 10-gallon pot, as I was saying. Um, I actually used an eight-jar rig, um, which, uh, you know, what really first got me intrigued in what i was doing with the jars i've been running jars for years um i guess i started with a little two 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 jar rig probably 10 about 12 probably 12 years ago and then i got talking to uh gibbs one day uh gibson and Uh, to uh,
0: to be clear we're talking about sean's dad now exactly (laughs) the godfather of basin jars rick gibson that's right sean's pop-up
3: and so uh, I told, I you know just talking to him, kind of telling him what I was, what I had done, and what I was looking to do. And he kind of threw a few pointers out there to me. And um, next thing I know, you know, I built this rack system with eight jars in it, and it's only like a foot, maybe fourteen inches square, and it houses eight jars, four down low, four up high, nice. and then uh, kind of experimented with different things. And one of the things I found out worked the best for me and my situation the way i was doing it is i actually took crown oil bags and bagged all my jars and man it made a world of difference so i could go from my pot 10 gallon pot through the jars you know straight from mash to my to my condenser and i was putting out about 181 proof you know, to that jar, and i was getting you know out of a out of a 10 gallon run i'd get about five liters uh and it was running the same from start to finish just drop off real quick when it did, probably. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, what I would do is I had mine, you know, maybe a more a little more scientific, electric kind of guru. I had a lot of, you know, a lot of electronic, you know, thermometers hooked up to it, and, and mm. you know, my water was all controlled by electronics. So, but so what ha- would happen was whenever it would start dropping to about hundred and about hundred and seventy proof, um, I would actually change change over my jars. Uh, but I would actually keep collecting down to probably around 100, 110 proof. And by that time, it was getting really, you know, the pot was getting, starting to get pretty hot. But, um, you know, I would get that first that first five liters off, and it was like they ran from 180, 181, solid like that. But then once it got to that, into that five liters, you got know, to start seeing around 178 proof. And, then, you know, I didn't really want to take a chance and, you know, have a lot of smearing problems. So, mm. I, you know, once it started to drop, I'd always change over. And that always happened around 178, 179 proof. That's
0: fucking crazy. Now on that <laughs> on that jar rig you're talking about, um, you had a high jar, low jar, high jar, low jar.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And it did, because, um, you know, I've, I've seen some pictures of, I call it the high-low rig. And what's that, um inspiration for your later on, the big one?
3: Are uh, you talking to one on the on the we were done on the show? Um, no.
1: Uh, didn't you t- was that the one you were? So you ran that one on the small one, not the bigger pot.
3: Yeah, that's my little that's my little ten gallon pot. that Okay, you okay, can, um, okay, I
1: gotcha. Yeah, uh, do you do you like how it worked with the
0: high jar and the low jar?
3: Oh yeah, like I say, you know, you could actually watch it sit there and cry. I mean, you know, you knew it was doing its job, and so actually, <laughs> I would actually for for the longest time, I would actually insulate the the, the actual incoming pipe, but I would actually let the outgoing, you know, the actual vapor tube um, outgoing pipe to the next jar. I'd actually be exposed to the ambient temperature, just so that it would cry, because I wanted that, you know, wanted that, re, that you know, pretty much that reflux. Mm-hmm you know, strip that alcohol down and bring it up, up at yeah. higher proof. But the thing about it is, is, you know, if you didn't have it running at the right speed, you know, those jars would fill up like super quick. And so you always had to keep that thing regulated for it. You know, what you got is, of course, you know, after a period of time of running it, you actually learn where that speed needs to be. And then of course, you know, then run, runs pretty, you know, pretty similar. But one of the things that I found out that it's really, there's a big necessity of those jars, and this is something that most people have to figure out pretty much on their own how that actually works. But my first jar and my third jar always had to have liquid in it to start. If it didn't, those jars would never fill up right. They would always overflow, you know, or hmm. refill. One would be real full, one would be empty. I mean, I started to run and had the you know next to the last jar be empty. Would have nothing in it. And then I've had like, yeah, you know, my, like my fifth or sixth jar would be almost slam full of, you know, but by putting, putting a little bit of liquid, about eight ounces in the first jar and the second jar, every one of the jars would regulate and fill up the exact same. Interesting.
0: I imagine that's, that's different on everybody's rig. So that's, that's something that you learn just from okay. running your rig. Like yours is like that. Somebody else's might be, oh, I got to put a little bit in the middle jar.
3: <laughs> yeah. Exactly. yeah, it's, it's like I say, everybody, depending on what, what you're burning, whether you're burning on you know, if you're running on electric if you're running on propane. And actually, I found that the burners make a big difference. You know, I know a lot of people, even Mike, you know, Mike is just dead set. He wants to run everything on those jet burners. I really don't like them simply because they're really, they're really, uh, <laughs> they're really, really heat sensitive. I mean, you know, if you've got anything in a pot you can score it. Those jet burners just because they mm-hmm. concentrate heat such yeah. a small spot. Yes, if you put a big big thing on there and you want to heat it up quick, it'll do it. But you know, you take a chance of of having those scorched uh, spots. Uh, me myself, it it's what I'm what pot I'm actually running, but I like major it. burners. It's got all the little the little small flames on it. Uh I know what I'm talking about. It's basically a cast iron and it's got a like, you know, it's a and say a 12 or 14 inch burner it's probably got 50, 75 little holes in it. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I mean, Flames don't get much bigger than a cigarette lighter but they get super hot and uh, you can know, you control the heat a lot better with them.
0: Yeah, a lot more heat heat distribution at yeah. that one spot just cooking it.
3: Yeah. Oh yeah. And I'm real big so, on that too so I, I really I really I like to really think about all the the scenarios and the, and the issues before you know beforehand it's like I'm you know, doing something um, that's why I like, if I am using a jet burner, I can like fire it into a, a plate. Um, so a lot of times when I build a jet burner for somebody that's really wanting them, I'll always put, like I say, a quarter inch plate, maybe eight inches in diameter, you know, right below the pot. So that jet burner that firing into that plate, getting that plate hot. And then it actually still can transfer the radiant heat onto there. Plus everything that plumes out around it's kind of distributing that heat, that flame outward. Even
0: more. Yeah. I've seen I've seen people do that run off just wood right underneath wood fires. They put a plate under there to help regulate it and distribute it to help not burn the bottom out of their still or scorch their, their mash.
1: So do you uh get you do a, a plate lot of infusion or anything like that? What's that? Do you do a lot of infusion or is that kind of do you just use the jars as basically thumpers to raise the proof a little bit?
3: No, I have found that that's, uh, the jar rig is actually, it's, it's almost more of a filter rather than an you know, infuser. Um, it's designed to strip out any, you know, any impurities or whatever rather than put flavor in. Um, you know, I have built jar rigs for myself if I'm doing something where I can actually cut jars on, cut jars off, where I can actually can infuse some flavor. But it's like, you know, I have like, say, I think I've got like a three jar rig But each one's got valves on them where I can load all three of them up with a flavor. I can start running with a crossover pipe. Once it gets to running, I can drop back to one jar, let it run that way for a little while. Because, you know, with anything, just like you put potatoes in a pot and start boiling, it ain't going to take very long. They're going to break down, and the next thing you know, all that flavor is going to be in the liquid. If you're seeing all that liquid through, it ain't going to take long before... Apples or peaches or grapes, whatever, are just going to practically be mush with no flavor of mm-hmm. like them. So you have to keep changing. You know, you might get a quarter or two out of out of one jar. And then when you switch over to the next jar, you might get a quarter or two more out of it. But you're only going to get out of, say, that three jar rig. I'm only going to probably go and get a good gallon and a half that's actually going to have good flavor to it. Oh,
1: yeah. So, uh, do you like. As far as condensers go, are you a worm guy? Are you a shotgun condenser kind of guy? A lie bag, or?
3: Well, I'm really big on worm condensers, but they've got to be sized accordingly. You know, a lot of these I see a lot of these steel companies building you know, 10, 15, 20 gallon pots and putting straws for condensers. You <laughs> know, it just drives me crazy to see that kind of stuff.
0: It's and too small.
3: Then people actually have a lot of problems. They have issues. They can't figure out what they're doing wrong, but they don't really realize it's, you know, their condenser. They're not really getting actually, you know, basically the rule of thumb, I tell everybody, is about 10% of your of your pot. is what you should be getting out of, you know, be getting out of it. Um, and, of course, you know, it depends on what, what proof is coming off. So, you know, if you're coming off, if you're at 10%, you're running a 20-gallon pot, you know, rule of thumb is you should be running two, two good gallons off there. But now if you're running that two good gallons, if you're running that pot and you're only getting, like, say, 120, 130 proof because you have no doublers or anything, you know, you may get closer to three and a half, maybe even four gallons out of it because you are bringing it off the lower proof. That two gallon, 10% is actually rule of thumb is, like, you know, that's to be 200 proof alcohol, you know, a real high Mm -hmm. proof alcohol, you know, two gallons. So if you got to do the math on it, then that's, that's one thing. But um, a lot of the problem is people, you know, be running a 20-gallon pot and they'll pull off, you know, a gallon, gallon and a half and think they've really done something until they realize that, that their condenser has let, let a lot of their alcohol escape from them because it wasn't enough to condense all the alcohol. Uh, now, my, my personal preference is, is, is a gallon condenser. Um, uh, it's basically a, a larger filter, multiple tubes, in a vertical, in a vertical position inside of a water jacket um, I feel like that is that is a much better condenser but again they have to be sized accordingly um, years ago I had one that I built for that 10 gallon pot that works absolutely perfect but you it to a 50 gallon pot like I did one time and I was getting nowhere near the amount of alcohol off of that I, that I should be getting and was confused and really couldn't figure out why until I realized that the condenser was actually... I'd have like little puffs of smoke come out of the condenser, not really realizing that that was my alcohol I was actually losing. It, it was just cold <laughs> alcohol vapor that would come out of it. So again, you know, it's, it's got to be size dependent. Hell yeah! But if you've got a, if you've got a big enough worm condenser, um, I guess you know a worm condenser is is, is a big go-to um, for a lot of people. It's it's definitely a lot cheaper than what Dr. Gatling Gun condenser would be. But, uh, you know, basically, I don't build a steel from the from the five to the 20 or 25 gallon size that I don't build a 55 gallon, three uh, quarter, 25 foot long condenser for. It.
0: That'd be like putting 60 foot of one and an eighth on a 100 gallon steel. That might be a bit much, Sean. <laughs> you
3: know, I, I, I have to disagree with you. I don't believe that in a condenser. <laughs> such thing is too much All right, you heard it there it's all going in <laughs> i was if trying got, to give sean shit if you've got the way of, if you've got the way of uh keeping it cooled and by all means if you got if you got an ink one inch pipe and a hundred foot of it put it in a tank and run nice. a 10 gallon pot on it i guarantee you it'll all condense
0: you got a water tote, don't you sean don't you got one of the big water yeah. toads had somewhere a, had a big water tote so <laughs> uh while we're talking about building stills um when did you build your first still
3: oh uh, well i mean back when i first started my very first still i built from from scratch and back Ooh. then i didn't know who to talk to who i could talk to who i shouldn't talk to
0: <laughs> you shouldn't talk know. to nobody <laughs> that's what it was you shouldn't talk to nobody you believe shouldn't know nobody
3: you shouldn't not, ask questions the first person I ever talked shop to, believe it or not, was Tim Smith. He was my very first person I really got to talk shop with. Um, and of course, I've been, you know, I've been watching the show for years and uh, kind of following everybody. We come to find out, my daughter told me one day that Tim Smith was in town, and I said, "We got to find him." And we found him. His thing was from two o'clock, I think, two o'clock to four four thirty, I think, and we got there at exactly four thirty. And he stood there and talked to me till six thirty, just me and him standing there talking shop. And uh, one one of the things he told me, and and it stuck with me for years, and it still does. And I, and I try to pass it along to everybody. He said the most important thing about running liquor is slow and cold. And so you know, it took me a while to really realize exactly what he meant, you know, meant by that. And uh, once you know, once you really grasp that that saying, slow and cold. Um, it, it it really makes a difference in what you're doing. If you can't run that, you got to keep that pot running at a slower pace. You can't you can't push it too hard because there's a lot of things that happen. You know, you, you if you get the pot too hot and you try to put it under too much pressure, of course, you know you're you're stressing the you're stressing the run really hard. And if you're not keeping that condenser super super cool, then you know you're losing alcohol. So, slow and cold is is the, is the biggest there is to
1: Interesting. So was he? So are you from North Carolina? Mm-hmm. Or okay,
3: yeah, I'm actually now, from the the Hendersonville Asheville area, where I was born and raised.
1: Okay. And then I
3: moved over to Maggie Valley about two years ago.
1: Nice. So do you have a a name for your steel company, or is it just kind of like by ear?
3: No, it's going to be – it's just trying to get everything worked out and uh, pretty much got everything approved, the mayor and everything else. It's going to be the the Maggie Valley Steel Company. Home of Boonshine and Jerry is what we're going to do.
1: Hey, don't blame you.
3: But to answer your question, the very first pot, you know, know, that I built was kind of one of the things that I had to – you know, I didn't really know where to get my pieces and parts from, so I'm scavenging – you know, a little piece of copper here, a little piece of copper there. And, you know, I just didn't go run by a full sheet of copper because, you know, then I really didn't know what the whole thing was. But I had a buddy that was in, you know, he was in roofing, and, you know, he had got some copper to do do some kind of special flashing around something. Like this yeah, one.
0: he's either uh, valleys or step flashing
3: up the mm-hmm. side. And so he had a pretty good little piece left over and I ended up calling him out of it. And that's kind of what I built my first little pot <laughs> with. <laughs> so what
1: what's the what was your biggest challenge with that as far as learning to build the uh well all copper pots was it not necessarily the building part but like as a whole like besides as, as not far, having somebody to ask and, and you know well as far as efficiency goes like how did you know how big to build the arm for say a 10 gallon pot was that something that you did and you learned as you learned to run it yourself or?
3: Well, I honestly when I first built it, I really didn't know it. Of course, you know, you'd all, you always see these, um, you know, these, the, the whole cartoons and you see the pictures, you know, as far as like the shows, different kinds of shows and stuff. You see them in books. And to me, you know, everything's more about symmetrics and, you know, the cap shouldn't look bigger than the pot. And, you know, it needs to have a mm-hmm. paper, but it, it needs to be tapered enough where it can slide in the, the collar and be able to have a swedge fit. And uh, you know, so pretty much the very first one I ever done. It was kinda of more just, you know, kind of a by eye thing. And with me being a fabricator, you know, I've been a fabricator pretty much all my life. You know, when I was twenty about twenty one, two years old, um, I went and got my, my welding my welding degree and I learned all the processes, you know, the the TIG, the MIG, the stick, the acetylene welding. I learned all the processes. So so, building something like that wasn't a big deal. The soldering was, you know, that was a piece of cake. You know, the very first one I ever done, I actually silver soldered the pot together. And that was a bit of a challenge because, you know, silver solder has to get so much hotter than regular tin solder. So, keep from burning up the copper and, you know, making a mess of everything, that was a big challenge. But, but uh, you know, over through the years, you know, you just kind of learn different ways and, and different things you want to do. And. And, uh, you know, what works a little bit better. To me, I am a very big tapered arm guy. I will not use a piece of pipe. I just, I don't like it. Um, I think it looks kind of gaudy. There is no strength to it. So I'm a very big tapered arm person. And one of the things I really theoretically think about all the time, anything that condenses in that arm, such as your water thing, I want it to go back to the pot. I don't want it to continue forward. And with a piece of pipe, if, last time when people put a piece of pipe on there, nine times out of ten, it's going to actually you know kind of slope down here. So anything that condenses mm-hmm. in, this, in this pipe, it's going on to the denser or your jars or whatever. But if you've got, got a combed uh, arm that being tapered, anything that condenses in that arm, it's going it's going back into the pot. And plus, it's just much stronger too a bigger area on that on the cap that you're actually tied to. So you're actually in a better <laughs> circle.
0: It's more like yeah. a cone. It's more like a cone. Mm-hmm. So it's got a lot more rigidity and it's a lot stronger than just a half inch pipe running, <laughs> running across there. So yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. And so, a lot I mean, of people you be- Go ahead.
3: I just want to say a lot of people who take a you know they use a three quarter one inch piece of copper pipe and they'll just drill a hole in it and solder it to it. So I mean there's no rigidity on that 16 or 20 ounce material, it's just not yeah. very strong.
1: hmm Um, so what is your uh since I know you build stills, as far as running them yourself, do you prefer like a pace cap or a tri-clamp or oh
3: tri clamp? What up. and why <laughs> <Do> what? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I said what simple. and why? Keep yeah. it simple, man. We had a tri clamp on there, bang, bang, let's go, we're
3: done. <laughs> tri clamp, you know, is is is, 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 is it kind of speaks for itself. One, it's it's guaranteed pretty much the seal every time, and two, it's a lot safer. So if something were to happen, you know, you're not going to have a chance for cap going off. I've been there, I've done that. You know, when I first got started, I thought that the pasting in part was the coolest thing in the world. You know, here I'm, I'm getting ready to make a run. I'm getting ready to paste in. You know, and it's just like. It's, <laughs> things that, that just goes along with the the old school ways of doing things it yeah.
0: makes you feel like you're in prohibition out there prohibition oh, yeah. times pacing that still up you know and it's
1: different well, man. i feel like everybody that does this hobby should at least run a pace cap one time
3: oh absolutely i mean it's awesome the thing about it is though you know for those especially being there and have done it before and seeing all the dangers involved in it it's almost like it's almost like you know letting your kid play on the road. You know, I don't know about you, but when I was younger, I used to get out in the road and, me and my cousin would watch for cars and go there and throw a baseball or a football out in the middle of the road or we'd get out and ride our bikes. But do we want to let our kids play out in the road? Yeah, I- I've been hit, I've been hit a
0: few times by cars, so it's like I've been hit we myself. You know, I, I've had some close calls with that pace. Still, I don't know if I want my own. You,
3: you're right; it makes a lot of sense. You know? Yes, I mean, yeah, especially the people new coming into it. You know, you you almost want you almost want to teach them the better ways of doing things. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and like I say, I don't, I don't, I don't discredit, and nothing I ever say or do, or have I ever tried to ever discredit the old school ways of doing things. I, I love it. I'm, I'm thankful for it. If we didn't have it the way it was, we wouldn't be where we are today. Um, we wouldn't have learned all the things that we learned due to that. Um, but you know, it just it's it's one of those things that you almost want to. It's kind of like my dad said. You know, I always want to you know want to want you to have better than I had than when I was growing. You. Mm-hmm. you know, like, in, yeah.
0: it's it's just like people aren't taking uh, right flyer bees. To Florida on the weekends, you know, they're not riding in the old right flyer. <laughs> they're riding in big giant uh, planes and jets now. So, you know, no, it's, absolutely. it's the advancements, you know, it's just it's how it goes. You know, we, we get well, smarter and, and, and things get easier and, and we have more at our fingertips to help us. So we have things that
3: they That's did. just about with anything that, you know, if you look back and think about anything that was done old school versus new school, you know, look, okay. Just think about like log cabin, you know, they were all like hand hued logs. They were, they, you know, real, it took real men to build those cabins. Now I'm not saying that the guys today aren't real men's, but I mean, you know, you got pre-cut lumber that's perfect size. Every bit of it's always the same. You know, you got yeah. screws instead of nails, instead of pins they got
0: 3d printed houses oh my gosh. <laughs> they'll print you a house bring a machine <laughs> out and print you a house out of concrete you it's, know it, like it's it's
3: insane just the just yeah. the tools of today are so much more advanced than what they had you know i guarantee you a man if you could talk to a man from 100 years ago building a house and give him a, a skill saw battery-powered skill saw i guarantee he could never pick up another handsaw in his life you know never because it's just you know that's all they had to work with back then so that's what they had to use i mean it was just the norm you know today if you go to a mechanic shop nine times out of ten when I mean, he goes a tire off he ain't gonna drag no hose over there and hook up no air gun he's gonna go over and grab his dewalt or his Milwaukee, mm-hmm. cordless impact and gonna go over and buzz the tires off yeah him. I it's,
0: could ride a bicycle to work every day, but there ain't no way in hell I'm riding a bicycle to work every day. Exactly. Man. There's a reason why I got some horsepower, you know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's yep. just it's well, the advancement, man. It's just the way it goes. And and that's like when I started, I you know, I didn't know anything. I still don't know anything. I was gonna say what you changed? say anything. <laughs> <Nothing's> but, changed. <laughs> uh, well, my thought process was if I'm gonna do something that everybody says is dangerous to begin with. Why would I not buy something that I can clamp it together? Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, at the time I didn't know anything about pasting. I didn't know nothing. I'm just like, well, fuck! I'll be as safe as possible doing something that's not safe.
0: Especially if you're doing it in your garage. You know, like oh, I yeah. got to li- I got to live here at the end of the day.
3: <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> got to be able to go to bed, right? <laughs> And that's the thing too, you know, it's like I'm doing a lot of, a lot of smaller steels, steel, but now I'm going, I'm doing a lot more of the electrical stuff, you know, to me, that's just hands down the smartest way of even doing it, you know, because no, no economically board. it's it works out to where it's actually better uh, in the long run. You know, you don't have to buy the gas, you don't have to smell all that, you don't have to, uh, uh, you know, you, don't, you just don't have to worry about all the dangers of what gas provides whether you're doing it in your basement and you're, or your barn out back or whatever, you know, especially with the way the electronic PID controls and stuff are now, you can actually set it before you go to work. When you come home, you know, it's within 15, 20 minutes of actually starting to run. Okay. And you just crank up the crank up the juice a little bit and then you know, you're, you're off to the races, you know. You, it gives you more time to spend with the family. Like I know, like mm-hmm. with myself, you know, I, I know, you know, I can look back and, you know, I took a lot of time away from the family sitting out in the building, you know, for hours and hours and hours, waiting for stuff to heat up, but, you know, and it um, it, one of the things that I, I can't say that I I regret it, but I do, you know, as far as that aspect of now knowing what I know now as far as, the, you know, having the the electronic controlled stuff that, that we can just turn on and kind of like your hot water heater in your house, you kind of set it and forget it, and it's there and ready to use when you are. You know, show so, rotisserie.
1: Do yeah. you think that uh, it scorches, any Compared to like some people, you'll say it's you know every time they taste something that's been ran on electric, that they, they taste scorch.
3: Well, here's here's my problem. I've had a lot of people use gas, but a lot of people use. Um, you had one guy that done it on wood, um, and it seems like nowadays. Anytime you're actually having the issue with scorching, probably I'd say, 7 out of ten times, it's going to be because people are filling the steels up at nighttime. time. No matter everything how, settles, no matter how well they strain it, there's always going to be sediment. If you let that stuff settle overnight, of course, if you're on an electric element, there's going to be a little bit settle on that element that, that's going to ha- that's going to definitely scorch as soon as you plug that thing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of my my key to that whole thing is that if I do pump over at nighttime before I fire up the next day, you can bet I'm in there stirring it. I, I you know stir it up real good. I light it and I stir it again. You know I'll stir it for you know, five or ten minutes to get everything kind of moving while it's getting hot. Um, and that's kind of the cool thing about these as far as what I was talking about doing the whitewash. If you're doing it right and you're letting it settle, because uh, see when I do mine after fermentation. It's at least two to three weeks before I'll even think about pumping it over and running it, just because I like to let all that yeast settle as much as possible.
1: Yeah, I think we had a conversation about that probably a year or so ago mm-hmm. with the yeast, and I'm like, "What the hell?" And you're like, you "Gotta let it sit. Just let it sit.
3: Yep, just let it sit. And let it rest." And I'm, kind of the I'm, cool thing about you know, I've, I've learned every, you know over the last year, um, I'm not really ever been real big on doing like corn. Um, but I have learned that doing off the grain corn is so much more efficient, and I like it as far as the flavor is so much better. Off the grain? Off the grain, absolutely. Really? Absolutely. Huh. And the thing about it is, you know, people talk about it all the time as far as like, oh, you know, I like to leave my corn in, you know, my corn in the in the mash just so that it can actually give me more flavor and I get more out of it. And you know, of course, the sour mash is kind of a whole different ball game. Mm-hmm. But if you're doing a corn you know, a corn mash and you're making the conversions like you're supposed to be, you know, heating it up, putting your enzyme in it, uh, using your alpha and your beta enzymes, um, converting all those corn starches into corn sugars, what purpose is there to leave the grain in there? You know, I mean, there's really no purpose in leaving it in. If you're making all the conversion, you're converting all the corn starch into a corn sugar, you know why not? Why not get it out of there? Why not get the grain? Get the <laughs> why not get the grain out of the mash? You know, and let it actually have time to do its thing.
1: Makes sense. She probably just flashed him, if I had to bet. <laughs> <laughs> yep, she's
0: telling me you've been on long enough. It's time to get off. Jump to Ohio right. boys. <laughs>
3: But no, seriously, though, as far as off the grain, I feel like, that you know, making that conversions, getting all that corn starch converted to corn sugars and then letting the sugar, the corn sugar actually ferment off like it's supposed to. One of the biggest things, and I know both of you probably ran corn, you know.
2: Mm hmm.
3: OK, so when you make a corn mash and after fermentation, what's the very first thing that you do?
0: I move Everest. into a secondary and let it sit, so it settles again. I'm a secondary guy, okay. so as soon as I, just, I'm, I go right into a secondary and let it sit for three to seven days. But are you are you pumping it off? Yeah, I pump it in there and off the step out of the east bed on the okay. bottom, and then so it goes. I drop my pump in and I pump it into a secondary and I step out of the bottom. Okay. And then I let it I let it sit in that secondary until it clears up a little bit more and there's still you still get a nice layer in the bottom and then I pump it into the still.
3: Okay. Sean, what about you?
1: Well, I don't do a secondary. I just throw a uh bag over the pot and just pump it right in.
3: Okay, so you're just pumping it right out of the right out of the, the bucket.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Okay, so with that being said, where, where is your where is all your yeast and everything going? The one thing that you want out of your mash, you want out of you want that as much out of that out of your mash as you can get.
1: In theory, it's in the bottom of the barrel. Mm-hmm. In theory, right. But what what you're getting at is it's making its way to the still. Right. So <laughs> it does. Yeah.
3: Here's where I'm really getting mm-hmm. at. You know, Most people I've ever seen that do it, of course, they're dipping it out. They're putting it in some kind of cheesecloth, whatever. And they're squeezing it. They're straining all that. They're, they're, they're just pulling all the grain and everything out. They're squeezing it out. And, you know, getting it all as clean as they can possibly get it. But what I don't feel like the people are actually doing is they're not really realizing when they stir all this stuff back up and they're straining it, all they're doing is they're squeezing all that yeast, all that nasty mm-hmm. sediment they're squeezing it right into their pot mm-hmm. so whenever they keep this thing up and they cook all that you know where's all that where's all that going it's going right into their liquor right in the pot. yangy yeasty taste is going right into their liquor yep yep so if you can just eliminate that step completely you know actually getting rid of all the grain getting rid of all this major part of the sediment in the beginning you know why why would you not do that I mean,
2: you see,
0: most beers are fermented, you know, they don't leave the grains in. I mean, it makes sense,
3: you know. Yep. And I know know both have actually um, watched old George. um, On YouTube, uh, George? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And one thing he actually, I was listening to him one night, one thing he said that made the most perfect sense to me, bar none, hands down, is the cleaner it goes in, the cleaner Cleaner it comes comes out. I mean, it's just you know that whole theory just—it's something I've always thought about, but never really thought about it in that way, you know. And so uh, that's kind of like, kind of where I where I have always felt like, you know, if you can ferment off the grain, because all you're wanting is the flavor, and you're, you're looking for the the corn sugar for your
2: mm-hmm.
3: actual alcohol quantity. But if you're making that conversion, you're getting the flavor anyway. Right make it easier on yourself in the end exactly
1: so when you do corn or grain in general um are you more of like a corn sugar like a dextrose guy or a white sugar well um or do you add any sugar you just convert all of it and you run with what you get
3: well basically i mean i I like to uh, as far as like doing a a true whiskey anytime i do a corn i want to try to do it more the true whiskey you know of course you know Whiskey don't have any sugar in it whatsoever. Um, if I'm going to do it for, I want to try to get the quantity I can out of it, you know, make it kind of worth worth the while. Then I'll actually work by gravity, you know, and, and whatever I get out of the out of the corn, then I'll make up the difference, you know, to get my, uh, you know, normally I try to shoot for the 1.080 mark, or around the 10%, and then. Uh, of course, we know that you know one pound of sugar, one gallon of water gives you about 30 to 32 gravity points. So you know you kind of work it from there. So, and if you're sitting on about 50 and you need 30, then it's one pound per gallon. You know, if you end up with something like you know I don't know, say for instance we ended up with about 20, then of course I had to put two pounds per gallon just to get mm-hmm. those points where where I want my my quantity. But if I'm shooting more just for the the quality of the of the corn whiskey, hmm. then I'll just let it go from where it goes. And if I end up with six seven percent, then you know six seven percent good corn whiskey is where I'll be.
1: Yeah, it's good flavor out of that. Oh, absolutely, that's for sure. So, what's your favorite type of brandy?
3: Well, I've always been I've always done for quite a few years is uh is actually banana. I like a banana brandy. Um for whatever reason, I don't know. I've done I've done corn, uh or not corn, I'm sorry, I've done uh, apples and I've done grapes, I've done strawberries, um, I've done several different kinds of apples. Being i used to live right in an apple orchard, you know, I had plenty of apples and could experiment many different ways. Um, but bananas, for some reason, have always been my, my go to thing. Um, you, know, you get them at the grocery store really cheap. It don't take a lot of them, um, and I found whenever I do my uh, when I do my charred process, it just it just enhances such a much better flavor. It's just so smooth. Um, but Minkara uh, done one back in uh, when did we actually do that? End of last year, huh? The brain. <laughs> Which one? The
2: pineapple banana. Um, Jerry's
0: talking straight to my heart. He's over here talking about banana brandy. (laughs) We (laughs)
2: ran in.
0: It's like he did his research where he came on.
2: The pineapple banana we ran
3: in. (laughs) Yeah, so we actually we actually done you know early this year we actually done a uh, banana a banana and pineapple uh, brandy. Um, I'd actually had some pineapples left over on something we'd done for the show last year. And uh, they had bought a bunch of pineapples. And, of course, we had probably six or eight pineapples. And they were just the sugar content, you know, used in the. Uh, um, I think it was. The fractometer, I think, it was about 19% no, sugar. No, but
1: one of them we had was almost
2: 25.
3: Yeah, so was, the, the pineapple was really, really sweet. Nice. So I told her, I said, let's just chop these things up. Let's just do a, you know, ba- banana pineapple. And it turned out really, really good. And we done about a, about an eight-week chart on it. And um, the whole process usually takes me about eight weeks. Um, the actual char, um, about six weeks. And then I use a two-week process of racking to, like, filter. Um, so I'm not real big on trying to filter my brandies through, uh, you know, through, a, like, cheesecloth or coffee or something like that. Um, I like to actually let it, you know, let gravity, you know, let nature take its course, you know. Just let it set the jars, let everything settle. Pull off the top into another carboy, let it sell, pull off the top again. And that process takes about two weeks. So overall it's about an eight week process. And um it's 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 really so smooth. I mean, we've had people tell us that like makers mark and crown Royal, stuff like that don't even don't even hold a candle to it.
1: Well, see that's just it, you know, all them big companies, man, it's uh the love and the spirit ain't there. Yeah. That's you get to the small batch again, like we were talking about earlier, you know, that's where, that's where it's at.
3: And I think the, we've done what, eight gallons, six or eight gallons on our last, our last go around that we actually charred. And, uh, I mean, you get you can taste every bit of the, every bit of the love that's put into it.
1: Hell yeah.
0: That's what makes it the best, man. It's that love, <laughs> you know, a that little bit of love. And all the all the time you put in perfecting it and getting it right and messing up over the years, all that makes a big difference, man. That's the tears. Yeah, that's the tears part.
3: And, most, <laughs> no. and that's what I that's what I tell a lot of people. You know, people ask me, you know, it's like what's in this? I say about about ten to fifteen years. <laughs> yeah,
0: like, what's in that? A lot of me is in that. It's got a lot of me in it, and so enjoy it
1: cause...
3: Yeah, that's the thing. You know, it's like you know a lot of people. Um, a lot of people who've been in this for quite some time. They can tell you a lot of things they've done wrong and a lot of things they don't remember how they've done. Um, That's one of my big things, too. And one of the things that I I try to always recommend to people, especially new people getting into this, so anybody that's watching this, please take this to to the fullest advantage. But as you're getting started in in, in, in this hobby or tradition, or whatever you want to call it, as you start out, take the time to write things down. I don't care what it is. When I first started, I actually would write down the date, you know, the date, of course, the time of year it was, what the temperature was, whether it was hot, whether it was raining. Uh, I mean, I, I would do, write down all those kind of memos just for the fact that if i done it different one day versus the next, so like today it was raining, you know, the next time i done it, was sunshining, and when and it was sunshine it turned out better, than i done to do it when it's hot, you know. Um, so a lot of those things. I mean, you know, most people don't have to go that technical with it, but just write stuff down. Good, bad, differ whether it turns out good or it turns out bad. Write it down. You know, write it down that you made this, you tried this, it didn't work, you didn't get nothing out of it, or you got very little out of it. Write it down. That and you make a little slight modification down. You write that modification down. So that you can see the difference in what happens. I mean, that's really the best way that I know that people can really learn, you know, themselves and understand what's going on. I mean, I can yeah. give you a recipe and tell you tell you how to do it, but whether you actually you know, do it the exact same way that I do it and all that process is gonna be one thing. And even if you did, it may not work best for you. But mm-hmm. uh, keeping a good memo of thing, I have found over the years, has been just a lifesaver for me, and you know, cause there's things that I've done that I've really messed up really bad on, it. and had I not wrote that down for the next time, I wouldn't know what I've done wrong.
0: Yeah, the, yep. the smallest change makes the biggest difference, you know,
3: and it really does. Whether yep, it be well, water, whether it be your 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 gas setting or your know, fire or whatever, it all makes a big difference.
0: it's like like making fudge man the humidity the barometric pressure everything makes such a difference and it's never going to come out the same twice like no matter how many times you run that still it's never going to be the same twice it's Mm -hmm. always something a little different
3: and I tell you a good example of that is is my mom and dad used to make this um, I can't remember exactly what they call it some people might know exactly what I'm talking about but my mom would always make like a, a, a cake just make a bigger old cake yellow cake and she said they take a straw and then poke holes on that cake and then they made this chocolate icing and it had to be done in such a way it was so particular that it had to be put together it had to be cooked and it had to be ste- you had to sit there and stir it while it got hot if you stop stirring that thing for one minute that chocolate icing would not turn out right whatsoever it's almost like making fudge yeah But like, they would stir it and stir it my I, i've heard my dad said it just Complain, dropped about having to stir that chocolate on. but you know, like he he would one time he actually stopped, you know, didn't stir it quite as much, and the buzzer went off and on the, the cake and it never hardened, it never got hard, it actually just stayed a liquefied chocolate syrup pretty much <laughs> on this cake. Uh, <laughs> but had he had stirred it, kept stirring it like he's supposed to, he would have actually got on the cake and it actually hardened up like a like almost like a fudge on the cake. But, nice.
0: Now I want some fudge cake, man. Thanks, Jerry. <laughs> don't take don't take much to push me over the edge. <laughs> Hell no. Uh, uh, what what kind of yeast do you use if you don't mind sharing?
3: Well, uh, believe it or not, basically what I use is a turbo yeast. I've always I've always used the turbo yeast. I've always, you know, it's always worked great for me. One of the things that I've had most comp- most People complain about is turbo yeast, and it's like one mm-hmm. of. Those. I think Sean even there years ago used to cuss, cuss turbo yeast all the yeah. time, uh, and still may I don't know. But um, one of the things that I tell people that that really makes a difference with with turbo yeast is you have got to let it settle. You know, there's the diammonium phosphate uh, that's in it. Uh, there's several ingredients that's in it. Um, yeast nutrient and all that stuff that's in there, you have got, once that's worked off, most people, of course, most people, especially getting into it, um, they just want to get the yeast or get the yeast pitched, let it ferment and then they're ready to run it, you know, Yeah. The time, which is mm-hmm. the biggest mistake I found with a lot of people coming into this. Into the hobby, a lot. Um, is people just get, they don't have any patience for it. Yeah. Yeah, when
0: they, they, people think like, all right, well, it says, everybody says my mash should be done in five to 10 days. And it's yeah. like, look, man, your mash is done when it's settled and it's clear and it's ready to go. It, it, if it takes a month, it takes a month, you know, like you put your it waiting and on.
3: And it says it's done. It's done. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, but usually for me, that's, you know, once that, once that, that bricks meter says it's, it's ready and it's done, that's the halfway point for me. That's about when mm-hmm. it's half done, you know? Mm-hmm um then i cover it up and let it sit for at least another you know week or two i want to be able to go in there um and also especially especially with well pretty much with any mash, but especially with the turbo um degasification is one thing that i really am really strong about um, if you don't degas after fermentation you know it could take months and months for that stuff to ever settle but if you'll transfer it to another barrel, or you'll actually stir it up real good, take you a you know a paddle beater and put it on a drill and really beat that stuff up really good. Because what people don't realize is that, that yeast is actually working; it's it's floating around in there. Of course, everything the yeast is actually putting out carbon dioxide, which is a bubble. You know, so any of that fragmentation that gets hung in a bubble, it's going to be suspended enough to where it's heavy enough; it's not going to come to the top. And it's light enough; it's not going to go to the bottom. It's kind, of, it's kind of suspended. So if you don't degas, break all them bubbles down to where all that stuff can settle and all your gas can come out, it's never going to clear up. Um, but you know, ninety-nine percent of the time, I'll you know about three days after it's it says it's done, I'll get in there and my paddle or my drill and I'll really hit that stuff really good, and then usually in five to you know five to ten days, it's clear as water. And that's why I'm a
0: ready to pump over and run. It's it's kind of what I achieved by, by pumping into a secondary, mm-hmm. pump off the top above that yeast bed, and about an inch or two above it, yep. stop, and then let it sit in there for about a week and let it settle again. And so, yeah, tip, man.
1: That's like you I said, mean. you know i I was one of them people. I didn't. Know. I mean, you just don't know. And if you don't know, well, then you just beat the hell out of it. Like, fuck turbo <laughs> yeast. I mean, you know, if you don't know, you don't know, right? But uh, I feel like that's uh, definitely a good way of of doing it. I have actually since done it. I was gonna say, just turbo right? You just used turbo <laughs> use, right? <Now> yeast <laughs> use use. not, not too long ago, if I remember. So. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's same situation. I think it sat for like three or four weeks, and uh, but yeah.
0: Good and clear, man. You well, can, and yep, the, definitely tell One of the things
3: about turbo turbo yeast that uh, I have a lot of questions about is um, people. You know, people ask me is like you know, you have twenty four hour turbo yeast, you have forty eight hour turbo yeast, and basically, people can't really think that if they can put a certain amount of yeast in there. It's going to make it work twice as fast. I mean, yeast can only work at one speed. Um, I think with with, with what's the 24 and the 48? It's it's more about the amount of yeast yeast, uh, yeast nutrient and you know the other uh, like the diammonium phosphate that's in it. And there's one other thing I can't think of right off the top of my head um, that basically make up the turbo yeast. Uh, but it's basically the yeast yeast nutrient diammonium phosphate um, makes up the difference. And I, I tell people all the time, don't be afraid to kind of. I found what works good for me. Um, but a lot of people, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people like the 24 by itself. A lot of people like the 48 by itself. Some people kind of mix it up a little bit, you know, kind of put a little bit of one versus a little bit of the other. And, um, I've actually done experiments throughout the years as to what is what I use. And I've tried doing, you know, like the, um, the 24 by itself, I've tried doing the 48 by itself. I've tried doing a little bit of of a mix up of them. And, um, you know, I've kind of found what works for me. I'm actually getting about probably an eight to 10% better yield doing it the way I do it versus just doing one or the other. So don't be afraid, you know, as far as that kind of stuff goes and experimenting, you know, everybody thinks that you can over pitch. You can over pitch uh, yeast in my opinion because if you put too much yeast in there and your and your match works off, um, you're really not um, you're really not doing anything other than throwing extra tainted flavor in there. And if you mm-hmm. underpitch one, you know you can underpitch it to a degree. Um, it doesn't really matter. You can put yeast in a, in a barrel, and your your match will work off eventually. It may take it six months to a year to work off, but it will, you know, <laughs> it will work off. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's kind of finding that fine line to where, you know, depending on how much sugar you use or what you're doing as far as fruits or anything like that, you know, as far as corn, of course, corn, I don't, I wouldn't use it in a, know, uh, wouldn't use a out of a corn. It just ain't designed for it. Um, but, you know, if you're, if you're, there is, there is the right amount or the suggested amount, you know, the, but actually
1: worked off the amount of sugar that you're actually using right, oh, uh, yeah, and a lot of people, man, they swear by daddy or daddy or whatever it is mm-hmm. uh, and if i'm using if I'm doing grain, I usually just use bro mm-hmm. or bread yeast, <laughs> yeah, you know, but whatever works best for you, that's in my opinion the best thing to do, yeah.
3: You know that's just it. You know, there's so many, there's so many different strains of yeast. That's just unreal. But um, um, and I, and I tell people all the time, you know, don't be afraid to mix it up. You know, you try mm-hmm. using, you know, ha, you know, half regular bread yeast and half daddy. You know, uh, it, it's you can't you can't ever be afraid to mix that up. You know, because like I say, you know, depending on what you're doing. You know, have a combination of two. Might be better for you because you know one one strain maybe will work certain part of your mash, and the other strain may work the other part better. Um, mm-hmm. Having that combination, it's like um, uh, it's, it's it's kind of like a you know I, I like using a lot of what do you call those things I like to use? I use examples all the time. It's not a metaphor, but what I'm trying to say is like I, you know it's like if you took like say all of one type um generational of of people to per se on a job site and if you had like all younger kids on a job site chances are you're probably not going to get as much accomplished as what you would if you had like say a mix of like older generation mid-generation and younger like a melting pot yeah i mean because you've actually got you know you need the experience of the older guys you need the, uh, the 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 kind of the um,
1: the backs
0: of the younger guys. <laughs> backs,
3: the middle guys kind of keep her, you know middle generation kind of keep everything rolling. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of like it's good to have a mix of different things uh, to make things work properly. And like you know, yeast is really no different. Um, I use I use that a lot, with especially like with yeast, people don't really comprehend the whole gravity percent. You know, percentage of, of water in your mash <clears throat> but I have a lot of people ask me It's like you know how can you not you got 55 mm-hmm. gallons of water there you know how do you not have enough liquid or how do you not have enough water in that barrel for the yeast to work off and my example of that is is like okay if I give you a pack of saltine crackers a whole sleeve of saltine crackers if I give you a quart jar chances are you're going to be able to eat that whole sleeve of saltine crackers with a quart jar of water mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I take, I give you a little bit I give you that same sleeve of crackers and I give you, I don't know, say a, 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 a shot glass full of water, chances are you're going to go about halfway through that sleeve of crackers. And you're not going to eat them. more. Well, you're going to have to take a break. You're going to have to quit eating and just kind of sit back and rest. Yeast mm-hmm. is the same way. If they don't have enough water, they can't eat all that they yeast.
0: So They're to wash that food down.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's why that's the, the gravity, you know, you don't have as much over your you're about to have to do the the one, um, it's because you don't want to really get over much over about that 12, that 12% mark, you know. Um, most people say, well, you know, you, if you get over that, you're creating jet fuel or whatever. It's like, no, you just got a higher percent, you know, a higher ABV of alcohol, um, you know, or what your potential ABV would be. Um, if you shoot around that 10% mark or that 11% mark, that guarantees you that your. That your ratio between your your water and your and your yeast are going to be equal enough for the job to be completed.
1: Mm-hmm. Nice. Yep. Hell yeah. Man, this
0: this is cool, man. We appreciate you coming on, Jerry.
3: Yeah. Uh, oh, my pleasure.
0: <laughs> we've been on here over an hour. I think uh, I think we're coming to the end. I bet you- I mean, honestly, I could sit here and listen to you talk all <laughs> night, man. This is this is a treat for me. Like, man, this is a treat for me. Uh, hold on, let me uh, l- let me be starstruck for a minute. Yeah,
1: me too. He's Hollywood.
0: All right, I'm done being <laughs> starstruck. Um, <laughs> but, but, anyways, it was it, it was an honor to meet you, Jerry. It was a pleasure. Pleasure's um, all mine. Yeah, I said we we're uh, we we're real grateful to have you on. And taking the time out and just to sit here and shoot the shit with us and listen to you talk. And, and, and for me, I was, um, for me, this was, this was more, I wanted to hear your backstory. Cause you know, you don't, don't get a whole lot of back, a lot of your backstory from the show. And right. so for, for me, I, I was, you know, I'm real honored to hear your backstory and how you came up and, and working on a 10 gallon pot and going back to the five gallon. And honestly, Sean should probably go back to a five gallon pot and learn how to ferment <laughs> five gallon buckets. Cause, his ass can't burn a five-gallon bucket to save his life. So. That's I mean, what you're for. I don't need to do that. No <laughs> I, what the hell am I going to fill with a five-gallon bucket, man? <laughs> like <laughs> a five-gallon bucket don't make enough wine, so let alone enough fill still. So,
3: <laughs> wait. Well, one thing you, one thing you just talked, you asked about earlier, as far as like you know, my, kind of my backstory as far as you know the moonshine part of it goes. But um, one of the things that people I think are most intrigued with with the show. And something I've tried to really put out there is like kind of like my background and like, you know, kind of, I guess you'd say backwards engineering and, mm-hmm. and the things that I like to build. I've always been a tinkerer and I've always had the, the, the desire to build things. I've got this kind of mindset where, you know, if you get to explaining something to me and especially if you can jot it down on paper where I can actually physically see what you're talking about in my mind, I've already got it built. So. Mm-hmm me already knowing exactly how it should work or how I'm going to build it. Therefore, I know what I'm going to need to build it with. Um, And, you know, as you see coming up on the show this season, um, we actually do build a new steel, which I think they've done, they've done showed you, Um, but hopefully they'll get us in the shop and be more detailed on, on, you know, what it is we're actually doing with what what we've built. Um, But I'll say is, like in building this process, I actually built the whole entire steel, around two barrel bands you know like two bands that go on a barrel to hold lids on Mm -hmm. i had to to design the steel and built the whole steel around these two bands and you'll get to see why and how um but just keep in mind when you see it that those bands that are on the steel that i actually had to design the whole entire steel around those bands so that they could do what they do nice i'm excited for that. that's
1: cool yeah i can't wait to check it out
3: but um but yeah i just my, my building skills is like one of the things that, um, you know, I've always just kind of been a, a kind of a, I won't say an engineer because, you know, I guess I try to, I think a little bit further through than, you know, an engineer would mm-hmm. sometimes, but, you know,
0: not, <laughs> not, not, I've, not, I've seen some engineers make some things that make you scratch your head. Like why? And then
3: you can tell the difference who has designed something that somebody else can come in and work on mm mm-hmm. mm-hmm. like some of the cars today that's engineered where you got to pull the whole rear end out just to change the spark plug you know it's a, yeah it's one of them I mean, crazy things like you, you, know, you can definitely wild. tell
0: when somebody engineers it for themselves you know like i'm making this for me to use it's going to be easier to use it's going to be usable and simple to use so
3: well it's like years ago you know me and me and a bunch of guys we used to go hunting all the time so i we always had this this issue of like you know we're always worried about getting somewhere Something happened into one of our bows and we wouldn't be able to actually be able to pick you know, it if we had to. And so then we was worried about, you know, if we had a, if we were, if we shot a deer, trying to be able to play, have a place to, you know, hang it up and skin it. So I actually designed a whole bow this slash deer crane, um, slash there was something else I actually put in all that mix. But I ended up doing three different things. And all it does, it went in the receiver hitch of a, of a car or a truck or a motorhome or whatever. And it's this way you can convert it around and do these multiple things with it, um, nice. you know, all at one time. But the wrench that I actually used to actually crank the deer up with was the same wrench that I was actually used to put a strap around the bow where I could pull it down in the bow press and be able to change the string on it
0: oh yeah! Uh, Necessity the mother of ingenuity, but yeah, looks, exactly like, looks like Sean's got a visitor. Sean's night's over; he's on baby duty now. So, uh, hope everybody has a good night. Um, yep. Thanks again, Jerry. Um, like I said it was an honor to meet you, and it was a pleasure mm-hmm. having you on the show. Absolutely, and no, I look forward to look forward to meeting you in person one day. I'm sure it's going to happen soon. So, oh, absolutely. <laughs> but anyways thanks everybody for listening. Sean, have yep. a great night. Jerry, have a great night. I hope everybody had a
2: great Thanksgiving. Thank you guys. And um, we'll see you guys next Sunday. Everybody shine on. Shine on. See ya.